Thank you. Good morning. And first of all, thank you for being here today at this time on Saturday. So thank you so much. Well, that's not my name. But first of all, before starting the presentation, my disclaimers. Well, that's the title of my, my talk. How can we deal with the explosion of new treatments? To adjust the microphone. 1995, European Medicine Agency give a marketing authorization under exceptional circumstances for Docetaxel. Wow, Docetaxel, 1955. That was the landscape at that time, chemotherapy and all the chemotherapy. And after that, the explosion. The explosion of new treatments. Imatinib, lapatinib, trastuzumab, panitumumab, ciptuximab, bemurafenib, crizotinib, labrafenib, olaparib, osimertinib, and immunotherapy. A lot of. And maybe this is related to the precision medicine. Precision medicines that is, or we can summarize the precision medicine that to the right treatments, to the right patients at the right time. And after that, immunotherapy, a new turning point, a new revolution, something new. Or maybe not, maybe it's not new. But anyway, this was the first proof that we had that immunotherapy works. This is the Kaplan-Meier for overall survival in metastatic melanoma patients of ipilimumab versus the comparator. The first proof that we had that with immunotherapy, we can prolong the life expectancy of these patients. And we can improve it. Pembrolizumab versus ipilimumab. Same setting, same population, better results. And the same with chemotherapy, and the same with targeted therapy. No small cell lung cancer, ALK positive patients, crithotinib versus chemotherapy. Progression for survival. Very nice, Kaplan Major. And again, we improved the results. Alactinib versus crithotinib in progression for survival. Same population, first line, of no small cell lung cancer in this population of ALK positive patients. But in this context of this learning, we have several uncertainties we have uncertainties related to the knowledge, and we have uncertainties related to the access to these drugs. And maybe the first thing is the uncertainties related to the concept of precision medicine. And in order to optimize the benefit risk, I think it's essential just to identify the proper target population for therapy. Or in other words, we need a biomarker or we should need a biomarker. And a biomarker should be capable of measuring and evaluating a normal biological process, a pathological process or the pharmacological response to a therapeutic intervention depending on its purpose. That's clear. So the first two questions that we should wonder would be, first of all, are all targeted therapies available biomarker-based? And secondly, is this time to select and treat patients regardless of histology? The first one. 
Let me show you yes, uh, a couple of, of examples. This is the pivotal trial of niraparib in the maintenance setting in ovarian cancer patients with platinum sensitive, previously treated with platinum, and in these maintenance settings, patients are randomized to receive niraparib versus placebo. In the primary analysis, is in BRCA mutated patients, and we observe there is a benefit in this population, biomarker positive, and even in a broader population defined by this HRD biomarker, we have a similar results. So there is some kind of consistency in the results using that biomarker. But in the complementary subgroup, in those patients identified as negative of the presence of this biomarker, with no mutation in terms of BRCA, there is also a positive results in terms of progression of survival. And even in the HRD negative subpopulation and in the wild type BRCA population. So apparently the use of this biomarker is not very useful in this setting. Second example, PDL1. PDL1 is expressed in antigenic presenting cells and may be expressed by tumor or other cells in tumor microenvironment. It is illegal and is directly involved in the mechanism of action of nivolumab, pembrolizumab, adithilizumab, and abelumab. Overall survival, no small cell lung cancer, second line, versus docetaxel. In PDL1 positive, we have a clear benefit in terms of survival, but in PDL1 negative, there is no benefit. So there is a correlation between the expression of this biomarker in this population. Another setting with the same drug, nivolumab versus everolimus in second line of renal cell carcinoma. PD1 positive and PD1 negative. Same results. Same benefit. There is no difference according to the expression of PD1. But we know that immunotherapy works and works very good, very well. This is a rapid eradication of a bulky melanoma mass with only one dose of immunotherapy. You know that picture. And immunotherapy works in head and neck, lung, liver, melanoma, renal, colorectal, bladder, glioblastoma, breast cancer, pancreatic, gastric, ovarian, even in Hodgkin lymphoma. But only in 10 to 30 percentage of patients. Why? We don't know. Coming back to the second question. Is it time to select a treated patient regardless of histology? Or in other words, histology agnostic indication? This is the paper of Stephen. Surprise, surprise, Stephen is here. <laughs> Very nice paper, by the way. First approval based on histology agnostic. But look at the right panel. Look at the number of patients in breast and prostate cancer. Two patients in breast cancer, two patients in prostate cancer. Do you think that is enough with these numbers just to give a broad indication based on the presence of this biomarker with only two patients in breast, only two patients in prostate cancer? 
And what about the problems with the methodology of this analysis, with the multiplicity of this analysis? More uncertainties related to the knowledge of immunotherapy and maybe targeted therapies. Combination versus monotherapies. Sequence of treatments and the role of single out trials. Combinations. Two options. The classical one, the combination versus the monocomponents. A versus B versus A plus B. Or maybe another new. The combination versus the standard of care. A plus B versus C. Nivo plus EP. Melanoma. The combination is better according to the pedal one expression. But nivolumab in monotherapy offers the same benefit in terms of survival that the combination in some patients according to the pedal one expression. A versus B versus the combination A plus B. Clear. And what about this? Combination of nivolumab and ipilimumab in renal cell carcinoma versus the standard of care in first line, sunitinib. Do we need to know the contribution of the monocomponents here? What is the role of nivolumab in monotherapy in this combination? Do we need really the combination? Or maybe it's just enough with the nivolumab monotherapy? We don't know. But we have a survival benefit of this combination. Next question, best sequence. This is the therapeutic indication, the word of indications given by the EMEA, European Medicine Agency for Abiraterone in prostate cancer. Newly diagnosed high risk metastatic hormone sensitive prostate cancer patients. Metastatic castration resistant prostate cancer, predocetaxel and Metastatic castration resistant prostate cancer, post docetaxel. What is the best? In non-metastatic, in metastatic predocetaxel, or in post docetaxel? Same drug, different scenarios. We don't know what the best sequence is. The last uncertainty related to the knowledge. The role of single out trials. This is just an example how the use of single out trials can produce different results. Nivolumab in second line of hepatocellular carcinoma. Same application, same study, different results, different outcomes. Positive opinion in the FDA and negative opinion in the European Medicine Agency. Why? Due to the uncertainties related to this kind of clinical trials, single out studies. And speaking of single trials, is speaking of non-randomized clinical trials and approval based on this kind of clinical trials. And here in Europe, in order to give a marketing authorization based on single trials, we need, first of all, a dramatic effect in terms of response rate. And dramatic means dramatic. A mechanism of action supported by a strong scientific rationale 
a well-defined patient population, a duration of this response, and of course, that the benefits overcome the risks. But it's not new. We have experience given market authorization based on single trials, based on conditional marketing authorization. Imatinib, sunitinib, lorafine, histamine, ofatumumab, trapectidine, cabozantinib, pazopanib, a lot of examples. Conditional marketing authorization. Conditional marketing authorization, the vast majority of this kind of marketing authorization are based in single trials. But if you want one of these special conditional marketing authorization, you need to demonstrate the following. First of all, that the benefit risk balance is positive. In other words, we need a myotherapeutic advantage for the drug, for the promising drug, in terms of efficacy or maybe safety. We need comprehensive data in the future, and the company has to be able to provide this comprehensive data. There has to be an immense medical need. And the last one, the benefit to public health of the medicinal products, immediate availability of the market overcomes the risks due to the need for further data. And these conditional market organization are part of the tools that regulators have just to try to give an earlier access to medicines, a promising medicines. Like the accelerated assessment, we can reduce the time frame to 150 days if the applicant provides sufficient justification for an accelerated assessment. What the conditional marketing authorization for these very promising drugs when there is a clear medical need? What the prime program? the priorities medicines program just to foster the research on and development of very promising drugs. And of course the scientific advice and protocol assistance. This is a powerful tool for companies. Please go to the scientific advice. Ask for the scientific advice. And coming back to the first slide and uncertainties related to this explosion of new treatments. The second part of these uncertainties are directly related to the access of these, of these drugs. We have a problem here with the cost of the, of the oncology drugs. And this is a huge problem. And we have to solve this problem because otherwise, What's the point of authorizing a very promising drugs if finally patient cannot get access to these drugs? But we have tools from a regulatory perspective in order to try to solve this problem. We have the parallel EMA HTA scientific advice just to provide some advice in terms of not only the clinical development, but in terms of the requirements from an HTA perspective. And the European Commission is fully involved in this problem with proposals like this, just to give an assessment of the relative benefit 
in the same way that the CHMP works. And that's all. Thank you very much for your attention.